Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we have been reading together about David's life from the books of First and Second Samuel. And uh, last week we read about Jonathan, Saul's son, helping David escape from Saul uh, because Saul wanted him dead. Uh, so we're going to pick up this morning at exactly the place uh, where we left off last week, where David begins his life on the run. Uh, so I'll read from First Samuel 21 and 22 for us. Then David came to Nob to Elimelech the priest. And Elimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adjulam. When his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. This is God's word. And it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now as we uh, talk about this word that we've read and and heard together, um, that this thing that we sang earlier, that we would find it to be true in our experience. We sang that you are good, that you are good. And so we ask that you'd use this story, this word that is written, to show us again that you are good Uh, Meet those of us here this morning who assent to that already and and who need to hear it again. Those of us who aren't sure what that would even mean or how we'd know it. Uh, Meet those of us who feel strong in faith and those of us this morning who aren't even sure that we have faith. Meet us and show us again that you are good to us in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, a few uh, weeks ago, the uh, inscrutable and yet scarily accurate Google algorithm uh, suggested to me that I probably would like to see Siskel and Ebert's review of Steven Spielberg's 1981 movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, uh, Google was correct. That was something that I wanted to see, even though that thought had never crossed my mind before. So I watched uh, their review of that movie, and it it was pretty great. Uh, Roger Ebert set up uh, the review by saying that they were going to talk about one of the most exciting and entertaining movies to come along in a long time. He said this movie is fun for lots of reasons, but the best reason is the film's inexhaustible supply of dangerous situations. And then they rolled uh, the clip of the beginning of the film the one where Indiana Jones is trying to escape all of the booby traps in that South American temple. I hope at least some of you have seen it. 
You know, there's rocks falling down. There's poisonous darts shooting at him. Uh, His traveling companion ditches him. He has to jump over this deep abyss and shimmy underneath this wall that's closing down on him. And then, of course, at the very end, that huge boulder starts rolling after him. Uh, And so when that clip ended, Ebert looked really wryly at the camera and he said, you know, this is just the beginning of the movie as it's getting warmed up. Later on, he gets in some really tight situations. Uh, It was a perfect opener and a really great review. And I don't know if there is a more accurate description of David's life on the run than the one Ebert gave to that movie, an inexhaustible supply of dangerous situations. But it's not a movie. It's David's life. And as we'll see, sometimes David responds well um, to the trouble and to the pressure and to the fear he experiences. And sometimes David doesn't respond well at all. He responds poorly to the pressure and to the trouble and the fear that he experiences. But the story behind the story is that no matter what situation, no matter what trouble David finds himself in, God is there in between the lines of the story, and he is guarding him. And that is how God is with people like us when we're in trouble, too. And that's very good news. So David and Jonathan, Saul's son, have just parted in tears, and Jonathan goes back to the city Uh, back to the royal court, and David finds himself that very second a fugitive running from the most powerful man in the land. I mean, the official state position on David is that he should be dead. And so there is uh, no looking back for David. There is no moment to consider what he needs to do. He goes on the run, and he leaves with nothing but the clothes on his back. And the first place he goes to, the first place he runs to, is a sanctuary city. It's a place called Nob. That's uh, where all of the priests lived. It's where the tabernacle was at that moment in time. So you can understand why David would go there first. It's It's a sanctuary city. It should offer him time to be able to rest, maybe catch his thoughts uh, for a little bit. Um, But he is met instead by a nervous priest, a guy named Elimelech. And Elimelech questions David, and while he questions David, he's trembling. He says, why are you alone, and why is there no one with you? These are really good questions, Uh, and and, uh, they make sense, because someone who was a part of the royal court, like David was, they would never travel alone. And someone whose job for the last few years had been making war, would never travel without some soldiers to watch his back. So Elimelech's no dummy. He knows something is up. He can probably see it in David's eyes. He just doesn't know what's up. So we didn't uh, read the rest of that story uh, this morning. You should read it later this afternoon, but I'm going to tell you what happens. That nervous priest's questions are hanging in the air, and without a second of thought... David lies to him. David, on the spot, makes up the story. He says, well, you know, here's the truth. Saul has sent me on this secret mission, and nobody else can know about this secret mission, and I'm, I'm alone because I'm going to meet up with the rest of the soldiers later 
in an undisclosed location. And then he asked the priest for bread. He says, give me some bread. Give me five loaves. Give me whatever you have on hand. Now, we don't know uh, if the priest bought this story or not. But he does tell David, look, I, I don't have bread that you should eat. I have the bread of presence. It's the 12 loaves that the priest should eat. But I'll make an exception. If you can tell me that the men who are with you are ritually clean, then I'll give you the bread. And, of course, David lies again. He makes up a story about the soldiers who, of course, don't even exist. He says, for sure they're clean. Don't worry about them. And so he gets the bread. And David now has what he really came for, which was some food. And I guess the first thing uh, that you can say about this is that while this may be the first morally suspect thing David does in this story. It's the first morally suspect thing that we've come across as we've been reading his story together. But you need to know it absolutely won't be his last morally suspect action. Scripture never tells us anything at all about David living a perfect life. Scripture just tells us about his actual life. Never says that it was okay for David to lie to a priest. It just says that David did lie to a priest. Sometimes David does good stuff and sometimes he doesn't. Just like every other human being who has ever walked this earth except for one. And here's the thing, church. David lies, but he gets his daily bread anyway. And there are very few clearer pictures of grace than that. Favor that he hadn't earned. Favor that he did not deserve. And church, this is of course at the heart of our faith. This is at the heart of Christian faith. We believe in the most thoroughgoing way we believe anything. (laughs) That we don't receive grace from God and we don't receive good from God because we deserve it or because we've earned it. We receive grace from God and good from God because he loves us and he loves us enough to give himself up for us. Now, yeah, absolutely, that love works on people like us. That work that love works on us. It slowly changes us into people who, who live differently and who, who begin to make better choices. For sure, that's what God's love does to us. But that love, church, it is always first. And it is never earned. It comes to liars and to fakes for free. And that is good news. <laughs> David gets his bread, and so do we. But of course, David, you know, he needs more than bread. He could use a sword or a spear too, so he asks the priest after he makes up another story. Third, if you're counting at home, he says, look, I I had to leave really fast on the king's business. I didn't have time to arm up, so do you have anything I can use? Well, as it happens, the priest has a very famous sword on hand, He has Goliath's sword, the sword um, of the guy that David had killed years earlier. (laughs) Well, David says, look, there's no sword like that, so I'll take it. And with food and with weapons, he runs away from Nob. And he runs to Achish, 
the king of Gath. So if David has just made a morally suspect decision, now he makes a royally dumb decision. <laughs> Gath, uh, Gath is a Philistine stronghold. And David has just conspicuously spent the last few years of his life making war against the Philistines. Further, he has rolled into the hometown of an old war hero. And that old war hero is named Goliath. (laughs) And he has rolled into the hometown of Goliath with his sword on his back. Now, I don't know why David did this. Maybe he thought, uh, you know, that they would be up for an alliance in exchange for military secrets or in exchange for some mercenary service or maybe he thought he would be anonymous there. I mean, I don't know because the storyteller doesn't tell us, but I do know this, that if your best plan is to go to your worst enemy, then things are bad for you. And up probably feels like down. And down probably feels like up. I have uh, made some dumb choices under pressure. I have made bad choices uh, when I'm afraid. Maybe you have too. I mean, I have uh, gotten into trouble quick without really thinking things through. Maybe you know what that feels like. And it doesn't take David long to regret what he's done. I mean, the servants of Achish recognize him right away and they say, isn't this David, the king of the land? I mean, he is so well known there. He's so renowned there. They actually think he's the king, not Saul. And they remember that little folk song the women used to sing when he would come home from battle. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And he hears that song and panic sets in on David. Verse 12 says he took these words to heart and he was much afraid. So, of course, you know, uh, David starts acting insane as one does, I guess, in these moments. <laughs> he makes marks on the doors. He, he lets his drool run down in his beard. It's this ridiculous plan. It's as ridiculous as going to Gath in the first place. But amazingly, it works. And Achish, who says, look, don't I have enough madmen already? Achish lets him go. And so now, for the second time in David's life on the run, he is given deliverance despite himself. And that is exactly, exactly how David viewed this moment. And we know that that's true because we have Psalm 34. Psalm 34 which we spoke together and sang together as our call to worship this morning. It's a song that David wrote about this moment in the court of Achish. And in Psalm 34, David doesn't celebrate his own prowess. He doesn't celebrate his own quick thinking. This is what David says about acting crazy in the king's court that day. This is what he says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I mean, David is very aware that his desperate, crazy actions, that these aren't the things that ultimately saved him that day. 
He knows that God saved him. He knows that God was the refuge that day. And this is another grace to David. And it's a grace for people like us too. In whatever trouble we might find ourselves in, in whatever fear we are facing, whether it's trouble that we've gotten ourselves into by making bad choices under pressure, or trouble that we didn't ask for that's been brought to our door anyway. God is a refuge for people who make bad choices. God is a refuge for, for people who suffer under the consequences of others' bad choices. God is a refuge for his people. <laughs> Even though it costs him everything to be that refuge. It costs him everything at the cross. But he is a refuge for his people. And you know, church, recognizing that that's true and, and saying that that's true again and again and believing that that's true in a thoroughgoing way that, that changes how we walk around in this world, acknowledging that he is a refuge, it has an effect, a very important and incredible and beautiful effect in our lives. As the Apostle Paul put it in the New Testament lesson we heard, as we recognize God as a refuge, we are less and less likely to rely on ourselves when we are in trouble and when we are afraid. And we are more and more likely to rely on God who raises the dead when we are in trouble and when we are afraid, when we're stuck, when we're under pressure. We pin our hopes on the one who raises the dead. So David flees uh, from Gath, gets out by the skin of his teeth. He goes to Adjalam. It's a series of natural rock fortresses about 18 miles southwest of Jerusalem. They're caves, really. He sets up a camp there. And as word gets out that that's where David is, as word gets out, I don't know how it trickles out, but it gets out. As that happens, something beautiful and strange begins to happen. The storyteller says that everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. David attracts this guerrilla band of, of the misfits and the marginalized and the outsider, this, this parade of the hurt and the broken and the angry ones. And church, in this way, I think David points way past himself to his greater son that would one day come. You know, the one who attracted his own following of suspect people. <laughs> the tax collectors and the sinners and the harlots and the cowards and the deniers, and the liars, and the fakes. Jesus offers grace and he offers refuge to people like that, which is to say he offers refuge to us. And he does it not because we've, you know, earned it by our good behavior. <laughs> and he offers grace and refuge not because we have reasoned our way into it. And he offers grace and refuge 
not because we've made a set of really sterling choices that caught his eye. He offers grace and refuge because he loves us enough to give himself up for us. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Let me pray for us. Father, you know what each one of us feels uh, like we're in over our heads. You know those, those experiences in life that maybe some of us are in right now that make us feel afraid and under pressure, like we don't have time. You know the decisions that we are inclined to make in those moments. And so, Father, we ask that you would use whatever it is that you need to use in our lives to make us into a people who see that we should not be relying on ourselves in those moments, that we should rely on you, the one who raises the dead. (laughs) Father, help us to recognize that you give grace and you give good and we don't have to earn it, that you do it because you love us. Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people who rely on you so that we would grow up in our faith, so that we would mature in our faith, so that through us, You could love this broken world around us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.